Elliot Macy is the analyst first credited with using the term e-learning, which we all use today. And Elliot's my guest today on the show. I'm privileged to have him. Elliot runs multiple learning projects internationally and also runs multiple organizations under the Maisie.com brand, including the Maisie Center, which hosts very well-known annual learning conferences. He also heads up the Learning Collaborative, which brings learning and development leaders from 76 global organizations, including Google and Amazon, to focus on innovations impacting learning. What's around the corner and how will we be learning a couple of years from now? So today we're going to share with you what Elliot is learning from listening to these L&D strategic conversations from thought leaders as they focus on trends and what's around the corner for their organizations. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. It's my privilege to welcome you to yet another episode of the Training Business Podcast. This is the weekly show for you, for people just like you and me, people who are out there as practitioners, as trainers, as coaches, facilitators, consultants, people working in the field of training, learning and development, helping people and their clients to be the very best that they can be. And every week, either we have a, a solo episode, which was the case last week, or we have a guest on the show, which is the case this week. If this is your first time here, thank you so much for taking time today to listen in. And if it's not your first time here, welcome back. I'm super grateful that you continue to listen and that you have also subscribed, which is my only request of you today. Just take a couple of moments to subscribe to the show by clicking on subscribe, whichever podcast platform you're listening to the show on, because this helps me and the team. It validates what we do and helps us to understand exactly where you find value. And you can, of course, email me directly via mark at trainingbusiness.com to let me know what you think about the show. And of course, to make any suggestions and give me some feedback if you'd like particular topics addressed, as many of you do. Uh, I really appreciate this because it helps me to put a steer, a, a learner or listener directed steer on what the show is about because it's your show. And this is exactly why I love doing this every single Thursday. So there is an episode every single Thursday. And I said before the music that today, this Thursday, right now, our guest today is the wonderful Elliot Macy, and we've got 30-35 minutes thereabouts with Elliot to understand exactly what members of his collaborative see significant global conversations in significant global corporations are saying about what's on the corporate radar for L&D. Elliot, hi, welcome to the show. An honor to be here, Mark. You lead a, a learning collaborative, that's the name, focused on, among other things, innovation in learning. And the group features L&D thought leaders from, I think it's, is it 76 of the best known global brands, including Disney, I used to work for Disney, Zoom, Marriott, Amazon, Google, and more. What was your intention behind setting up the learning collaborative in the first place? 
I have this desire to wake up in the morning and have very immediate conversations with people who are supporting the learning of what literally, if we add up those companies, are tens of millions of employees. Um, and given that I've had a long career in, in learning, I was less interested in doing fancy reports or, or you know, uh, elaborate graphs or, or being an analyst in that sense. What I really wanted to do, and it's at the heart of what the collaborative does, is to collaborate. And to me, collaborate is about conversations. It's about uh, building uh, a playfulness around, well, we could do it this way, we could do it that way, and and having the safety and security to even talk about what's not working, what's failing. And so I'm very honored that I have, and we kept it to 76. Many more wanted to join, but uh, we kept it to 76 companies of of significant world status where people were willing to have risky and open and safe conversations with each other and with me about the current and future state of learning. So that's given you an an enviable opportunity to listen in on what these corporations are saying about what's on their radar for corporate L&D and the direction they think things are going. So with that in mind, that was really my intention, my selfish intention in having you on, is to understand, without mentioning names, obviously, but just getting a sense and sharing this with the audience, what is the thinking, the, the direction, um, what what are the thoughts of people at the top of these global brands in learning and development practices? What are they thinking is around the corner? And we, in preparing for this recording today, we talked about five possible headings, which we can guide people through listening to this. Uh, The changing learner, the changing needs of organizations, the change in language in L&D, the change in behavior, and something which I think is close to your heart, lastly, number five, is the change in empathy. So why don't we walk through those five things, given what you've heard and what you're learning from these thought leaders in L&D, in the corporate space. Let's start with the changing learner. The learner is, is changing. And I would argue that all the way through this, we need to be careful not to attribute all the changes to the pandemic and the work from home dimension of that. But I do think we have to understand that the pandemic has been both a accelerator of some phenomena that were already there, has been a disruptor of some of our practices that we couldn't continue during, um, you know, during the work at home stage. Um, and I actually think it's been a clarifier. Um, it's, you know, um, as you know, I spent some time in Ireland and it was interesting as a nice Jewish kid in Ireland, uh, understanding the, the Catholic, uh, you know, culture there. And, and I actually went at one point to go with a friend, you know, to a monastery, you know, because it there there was something that came out of when you got into deep reflection, you had a view of things. Well, we haven't had a monastery moment in learning, but I would argue that some of what's happened in the pandemic has created that. So, so how is the learner changing? Uh, number one, they have become drivers rather than passengers. 
I, I, I argue that a lot of what we've done with learners is get a really comfortable seat for them in the back of an Uber, you know, and, uh, uh, I will tell you that the learner has had to either sit in the driver's seat or maybe at least sit in the seat next to the driver. Uh, they are driving what they do. Uh, we found, for instance, duration of time spent on corporate videos went down because people were saying, hmm, okay, well, I've got these three videos to watch. I'm sitting here in my living room or in my, you know, uh, at my dining room table or home office. Okay, well, that one wasn't good. Let me try a different one. In other words, the the level of choice uh, increased. Uh, we found that learners uh, in in being in the driver's seat were often changing sequences. Uh, and this is an enormously important piece. You know, uh, when he was alive, Sir Ken Robinson talked a lot about personalization. And part of personalization is not choosing what you learn, but maybe choosing the order in which you learn it. You know, one individual uh, found that uh, people in their organization needed more examples before teaching them a procedure or a process. Okay, we, we can organize that. Whereas somebody found they really wanted to, believe it or not, hear about the failure moments of a leadership practice. You know, like, give me the autopsies of, of when things truly failed. So being in that driver's seat, people are making those choices. I also believe that part of being in that driver's seat is to sequence the way in which learners are learning in terms of, are they wanting to learn it to a familiarization level? Are they wanting to learn it at a memorization level? or maybe even just at a navigational level. In other words, show me where I can look it up when I need it versus teach it to me and I'll memorize it and show it back to you. Um, and in that process, I think learners were recognizing that a lot of what they needed wasn't just information or, or skills but what they needed was an ability to contextualize them, is to add context. And we found that the number of hours they spent on Skype or Zoom or Microsoft Teams actually increased the amount of time that learners were talking to other learners and adding context to their, um, to their, their knowledge acquisition. Uh, finally, I think we found that learners are uh, ahead of the learning providers in, in, in really being aligned to what they need. You know, and uh, a number of chief learning officers said that they watched learners once they weren't necessarily in a classroom actually redesigning the sequence, the order, the intensity, the focus. And uh, it was a beautiful process. Uh, I would argue it's the ultimate stage of needs assessment or user experience design. Uh, the final piece about learners is that they were aware and they are aware that the future has an uncertainty to it. And uh, we found an enormous amount of learning that was optional rather than prescribed was tilting towards what if I changed my role, my skills, my job, or my career at the end of this? Uh, 
my friend from Amazon, who is one of their learning leaders, uh, put together an enormous set of free courses to teach people about cloud-based skills. You know, and uh, they did that not just so that people would use their tools, but as a way of saying that an awful lot of employees want to imagine what they were doing if everything changed. Because certainly the pandemic showed them that in a moment everything could change. Uh, so our learners are riper, hungrier, more assertive, um, and maybe they're less patient as well, Mark, in that. and. Um, that's not such a bad thing. No, and they're willing, of course, to direct their own learning. And I guess we can learn from them as they learn and direct their own learning. What about then the changing needs of organizations? This is perhaps a tricky one because we're going through a massive disruption. Uh, there is, to some degree, a redesigning and how we um, design for modern learning. And that brings to mind an episode two weeks ago with Crystal Kadake, who wrote the book literally called Designing for Modern Learning. Um I spoke then with Don Taylor, who has the annual GSS Global Sentiment Survey. And I think a lot of people are trying to predict the future, which is obviously difficult because it's a moving uh, feast right now. So we're talking about things like skilling, reskilling, upskilling. Um, there have been some surprises, I think, in, in the past six months. Do, do you Are you aware of uh, directions or, or thoughts as to what people think is around the corner, uh, even though the world's hard to predict right now? Well, one of the first thoughts we have is that they don't trust their leadership's view of the future. And I don't mean that from a, a nasty point of view or a suspicious point of view. It's actually an evidence-based point of view. You know, the uh, uh, We found that leaders, I throughout the pandemic, worked with Marshall Goldsmith and CEOs around the world. And bluntly, they move from where the goal of a leader is to have precision about the future, a strategy and a, a pert or Gantt chart to get to it and to follow that in a in a lockstep and strategic way. And suddenly, people who ran airlines said, and I don't quite know when we'll get back in the air or when we come back, I don't know if we'll have the staff to, to get back. Um, that filtered back to learners. Um, here's what, what we're picking up, and, and there is a divergence, as, as you said. In some organizations, there is a acknowledgement by the leadership that we are actually at a moment that will be transformational in the skill sets that are needed. And some of that has been to really focus at upskilling the, the, the technological or even cloud readiness of their workforce to operate in a much richer tech space, um, and what we've seen it is that we've had to re we had to reframe the skills. I'll give you an interesting example: um, a, a company that has people who work on insurance follow-up claims. Somebody's injured, and they call them up, and and uh, they 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 validate that that their insurance should be paid. Well. Very recently, that company added a massive amount of AI and machine learning into the process. So now that claims agent is sitting in front of a dynamically changing screen that indicates all the data that they have and is predictive of the kinds of questions that they need to ask. And bluntly, their job has changed to be an extension of an underlying AI engine. 
Now, the question is, do you take a normal claims person and retrain them? Or do you start from scratch with somebody who's wanting and liking that world? And the question's open. We, we don't know yet. And, and we could follow that through as we add robotics. Uh, certainly, we found that in manufacturing, in, even in beginning in the retail, uh, we're going to need to get to it in the health area. As we, as we added a, a degree of increased customer self-service, uh, to that process. And then we get to the, the, the trickier one, which is to really deal with uh, a new order of what building, uh, we can call them apps, but people just try to think of downloaded apps, but, but really building out the technological ecosystem that's going to support somebody ordering a Lyft or an Uber or somebody who is uh, working in HR but now has a huge technological engine to help the, the recruitment and, and interviewing and sorting area. Um, there are some organizations, Mark, that can't handle this. I mean, it's, it's, uh, so they're framing it by outsourcing an awful lot of it. So we've seen a lot of organizations, uh, decrease the number of paid employees and, uh, moving those employees or those skills to third parties that could be technologically ready. And then finally, there is a, uh, a, a wonder, a curiosity and a worry that the school systems, whether we talk K-12, whether we talk higher education, or whether we talk trade schools, aren't necessarily delivering a 2021 or a 2022 product. And there are big gaps between what's coming out of our, of our schooling and what our employers who are at the edge of innovation are needing. And that is going to change, including a number of, of uh, organizations have decided, well, let's not make a degree as critical uh, or let's get them early on in an internship and then we'll support them getting their degree online or in a hybrid way after that. But uh, there's a lot of worry that we're not delivering the um, the, the 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 cohort of skilled new employees into organizations. Yeah, and I don't think we can blame anyone for that because um, a CLO cannot possibly predict what the world will look like in six months' time. It's just so fast-moving. And Ken Robinson, whom you mentioned earlier on, uh, was a guest on the show. I'm lucky to have had the man on the show before he left us uh, a year and a half ago, I think. Um, He talked about this exact concept, is that thinking of how we educate children now for a future when they will become employees is is in a way a waste of time. We can't possibly predict what their world will look like when they come of age and enter the workforce. We're we're right now struggling in this disruptive phase to navigate what's happening, let alone what happens in six months' time. What about the changing language, point number three? And, and I think this is interesting because the Maisie Center, which you run, produced an event called Hybrid and Pivoting Learning Changes in Spring 2021. And those are two words I've heard with ever-increasing frequency, pivot, hybrid, hybrid, and pivot. What, what language, what do those mean to you, first of all, and, and what else have you heard in terms of changing language in L&D? Well, a lot of the language changes, Mark, are an abandonment of, uh, let's do it by tradition. You know, So if I said to somebody, well, okay, we're going to do our onboarding program. 
And the onboarding program meant, okay, we went to a, a, a room at the office or maybe a, a meeting uh, center, and we had either eight hours or maybe 16 or in some organizations, you know, 24 hours. And we heard lots of overviews and got forms and, and met some people and maybe even played some games and the CEO popped in. Um, hey, that didn't work so well in the pandemic. In fact, one of the largest law firms globally uh, brought on board 900 new attorneys. They never met them. They uh, interviewed them online, and then they onboarded them. And what they and they their first instinct, Mark, was to do exactly what they did, and and that would have been you know a medically sedative experience for folks. And they quickly turned around and said, No, no, no. Why are we trying to do all of the get ready the first 24 hours of their existence here? What if we actually redid this into, and once again, we move into some hybrid elements. So, uh, you know, maybe there'll be some things we pre-record. Wouldn't it be really valuable to maybe have each of the new attorneys have an online lunch with with a, a person who's one year into the firm as sort of an almost peer. And wouldn't it be interesting to have a time to get together with somebody who is one of the managing partners in that? And what if we extended that over time and didn't try to compress it to the first 24 hours? Uh, there's another firm, uh, you've probably heard of them, uh, Zillow, and they made a decision that they would hire people and that a lot of people would actually be the wrong people in the wrong job at the wrong time. And so they incentive people uh, at every point during a four or five week training onboard thing to leave. And they gave them a bonus on, on departure. Uh, it, it was, it, 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 it shook the HR world, but enormous economic uh, results in a positive way came from that. Uh, we are looking in terms of a language shift as well. Uh, what does format look like? What does duration look like? Who are the experts? I actually don't, I try my best not to use the word class or course um, because I'm not sure that's what our employees want. You know, they want to get better. They want to get smarter. They want to get uh, promoted. <laughs> they want to get a bonus. I'm not even sure some of our language that we that rolls off our ten, you know, a, a module, you know, or or let's put somebody into you know a three step uh, uh, promotion course track, or even let's have a conference. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen as we start to um, you know deviate and experiment in that. And the one area that that learning is also changing its language is the addition of business language into that. Um, I have seen major changes from chief learning officers in our collaborative who've said, I don't actually care about the traditional uh, learning evaluations. I'm not overly interested whether they liked it or not. You know, uh, I'm not overly interested, even in uh, the micro feedback of should the module be shorter or longer? I said, well, what are you interested in? Six weeks later, what's happened to their sales level? Five weeks later, what's happened to their customer retention level? Uh, 16 months later, how many are still in the company? And it is creating a willingness for people in the L&D space 
to be able to talk to and be in that business world and use business metrics and business language as one of the uh, operative elements there. And that's that that ain't easy because many of us are used to operating in L&D land, speaking L&D language along the way. It's so often the case that particularly people who are hands-on learning and development practitioners seem to start at one end of, of this continuum, which is, you know, level one, level two, um, overlooking the impact to the business of the sharp end of training, you know, level five, to think of Jack and Patty Phillips' um, ROI model. So what you're saying rightly now is that we need to, as practitioners, think of the business uh, return on expectations, I think Naftali Bryant calls it um, a couple of weeks ago. What does the business want from us? If we're to earn this seat at the table, um, how can we actually contribute, not just deliver learning, but deliver results from learning? Even going a step farther, which is to take our leadership programs, where you know L and D is often involved in that that senior or executive or rising leader program, and inject into that L and D competencies. You know, if I had my druthers, uh, I'd follow what the United States Air Force does. In that, every senior officer has spent time in L and D along the way. Why is that right? Because later, on, absolutely. Because part of their model is ultimately, if you're going to have command for a thousand people or X number of pilots or planes and stuff, L and D gives you the background. Now, it may be you spent three months there. It may be that you were an instructor and then got you know some L and D. Uh, perspective. But I actually think we need to bring business into the L&D space, but at the same time, integrate uh, our concepts of learning and development and performance into the business space, because that's what that's the that's what my friends who are CEOs are talking about. How do I retain people? You know, how do I get the right people to to, to operate now? And if they don't have they know how to read a spreadsheet, but do they know how to understand where the talent gaps are in the in the organization and what they can fulfill there? So that's another part of our language change. So it sounds like they need to understand what we do, how we can help them, and we need to understand what they need from us. So it's like a two-way street. So number four, then, is the change in behavior. So the last time we spoke, we, we touched upon the idea of um, technology, I guess, um, and you said to me, even today, you were speaking to the CLO of a global bank and they didn't want to go to class, those people who are up for training. What are you, see, what are you seeing and what are your members in the collective collaborative seeing when it comes to learner behavior at the forefront, at, at the coalface, if you will, of learning? Well, some of them are wanting to be in an environment in which they learn continuously without stopping what they're doing. Um, you know, and we can use lots of terms, performance support, workflow support, nudges, um, you know, uh, yeah, you know, some people are indicating what they're really wanting to be is in, in a knowledge ecosystem. You'll hear that phrase a lot. And certainly it's coming from some of the companies that are pushing experience servers and the like. What, what we think it is, um, it's really framed about is this idea that the um, the the workday or the work week is infused with all these moments of knowledge of of data coming back that the people 
are aware, oh, I, I didn't know that, or, or there's a system change, or here's a customer who's brand new, or here's a customer we lost and maybe we'll get back. And, and that requires us to not view that we do our knowledge before we start to work, you know, on our ramp into work, but every day is filled with knowledge. And, uh, and to do that, we're going to need different systems. We're going to need, I think, increased degrees of almost dashboards, you know, where, where people see in front of them everything that's changed. I think we're going to need to get braver in the feedback that we give people, you know, because very often we give them macro feedback. Oh, you're doing well. But we don't give them feedback that, you know, you're doing really well. But on these four areas, you actually aren't performing up to what you used to or that. We even have to deal with a really difficult one, Mark, which is cognitive decline. In some cases, people decline cognitively, uh, either A, because they're bored, they've done the job too long, or maybe, as we well know, we are dealing with a, a complexity of health situations that people are in. And some people are getting to a point where their cognition isn't what it, what it used to be. Um, and, and so we need to do that environment of understanding what that what that knowledge ecosystem looks like and how do we make it sharp and focused and ironically the the work at home distributed model once organizations recovered from the oh crap moment with that we started to see organizations who became much more laser-like in how do we feed the right content to the right people at the right moment in the right format and then monitor that it has an impact on on their their skills. I mean, I know I mentioned to you in our, our pre-talk, but there was one organization where an employee um, fought against working from home, and then they worked from home, and they were incentive on sales, and their bonus uh, went up almost about three hundred percent. Their commissions they were much better working from home, they actually went out and hired their own assistant on their own dollar <laughs> to help them. And then they got a note from the CEO saying, oh, come back to work. And you know what their answer was? Not on your life. You know, It's working. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think what we're going to have to deal with is how do we get the right ecosystem for the right employees? And that's why I don't think we're going back to work. I don't think we're going to stay there. I think uh, you know, the CEO of General Motors says we have to work smart and that dep- that we'll, we'll work where it's best and the conditions that are best. And then we have to monitor. And this is a tough one. I don't know if you're experiencing it in Ireland. We have these enormous areas of under of underemployment of where where jobs are there and they're not there are nobody to fill them. And some of them are at the at the, at the retail level and the like, well, we have to do some thinking about what has to alter. It might be at a compensation level. It might be even at their jobs, which people don't want to do all the time. We can't get people to work in the nursing homes. Well, I would argue 40 hours in a nursing home may be more than we can get, but there may be people who want to work in a nursing home 10 hours and then drive an Uber for, for 30 or, or blend other other areas. And so we're going to need some very sophisticated looking at how do we map uh, what the what the work 
workforce availability is against a very changing uh, set of work requirements. Yeah, and a lot of that comes back to, I think, the wake-up call that people have had during the pandemic. It's a realization that I've got choice. Um, Perhaps their focus has changed. And out of that, what I've seen a lot, perhaps you've seen it too on LinkedIn and also from what your collaborative are saying, is this change in empathy. It's this, there's a huge focus right now on people sharing how they're feeling, not just what they're doing or what they're selling, but how they're feeling as as people on LinkedIn. I've seen a massive shift in even five years. People were previously uncomfortable talking about perhaps mental health or resilience. And now it's almost to the forefront. It's like you want to lead with this because this is what makes you human, uh, perhaps attractive, vulnerable as a leader. And you published a book, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm correct this year called, uh, empathy and learning that was back in March, 2021. Um, what, what's in there briefly that you feel is pertinent to people listening when it comes to, uh, empathy in the context of learning and development? Well, we started this concept around let's have conversations about empathy. Uh, literally, uh, in the March that the in the U.S. the pandemic became very real, and what we found was we literally had not just CLOs but CEOs wanting to be in conversation, and the word empathy for them didn't mean sympathy. It didn't mean therapy. <laughs> it didn't mean a social worker approach. What it really meant was an acknowledgement of the actual reality that the people that they are uh, dealing with, whether they be employees or customers or colleagues or even their family members are are experiencing. What we found is that what, what worked with empathy was a openness, not an enforced participation, but an openness to acknowledge and to uh, adapt to the realities that different people are were having. Um, and you're absolutely right on target there. It wasn't something that necessarily rolled off of MBA uh, professors' tongues, uh, that let's do empathy. And it wasn't something, bluntly, that I ever heard in a financial briefing for the stock market. But literally, <laughs> during the pandemic, we started to hear in stock market financial reports, well, because we did this, we've been able to get a shift in, in our retention levels, in our focus levels, in our customer service responses. And uh, it's, it is building that acknowledgement. Uh, I think some of it has been even to listen and honor the stories of our people. Uh, because you know we can do all these strategies around diversity and inclusion, and we all agree that's a wonderful thing. But at some point, we have to get the stories. <laughs> you know, we have to find out what our employees are actually experiencing. We found one that was interesting um, with all the increased view of let's support families. Single people were feeling um, taken advantage of in some companies. I heard that, you know, yeah. It's just me. I'm just one person, they said. And, you know, and and they've got maternity leave and they have child sick leave. You know, where do I, what's my equivalent, you know? Uh, and, you know, I don't want to say something that would make fun of either side, but empathy was understanding 
some of that dimensionality. We actually went so far as to do concerts where we brought Broadway stars in and then, you know, world leaders, some of whom have been on, on your, your program to, to talk about uh, this. And ironically, it, it isn't ending as in many cases people are, are coming, you know, back into an office environment or, or work at the factory environment. Because I think we're going to deal with an unknown future in so many ways. I, I think we're we're x days, weeks, months, or years away from a cyberdemic. You know, where it, we're we're going to have a pandemic where nobody's ATM machine works or or <laughs> none of the email. It doesn't bear thinking about, does it? Really? Yeah. But but are we ready? I mean, are we ready organizationally and personally? for massive disruption and disruption can be bad or disruption can be opportunity based in, in that sense. So yeah, empathy has been a, has been a a big piece of it. And I would argue it's been particularly helpful as we've seen women rise in leadership to uh, add their voices to it and, and to have a, a wider, more diverse conversation about empathy. So finally then, um, the Learning Collaborative, let's talk about that very quickly. Uh, we'll be exploring a series of themes in 2021, some of which have perhaps been covered, but some of which are yet to be covered. And this is on the program on your website. Uh, ones which came to my mind or, or I noticed would be AI and smarter tech for learning, hybrid and pivoting learning, evolving, optimizing, and extending new approaches to learning and performance. Where can people find out more about joining the learning collaborative and where do you want people to go elliot well just go to our website mazie.com m-a-s-i-e.com and you'll see uh the elements that are there and uh, what we do is we operate in a very open source fashion so uh almost all the things that we do are put out there to be free and available and usable and 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 shareable uh one of the things that i think we are going to focus on going forward as well, is to um, be able to figure out how much we have changed in the last two years. Um, Because I think all of the innovations we're doing are amazing. And at some point, we need to recast and reframe and even rebrand some of what we do uh, around that. So I'll be investigating, particularly now that I'm flying a bit more, investigating around the world what's uh, what's really altered in, in L&D. And by the way, our field is got permanent, permanent role. The names may change, the budgets may change, but um, you know, we, our organizations are in such need of continuing to develop and to build and to hone the performance of employees that uh, the L&D field and, and the training and learning business is, is a robust one. And you only have to look at some of the ed tech valuations that are out there as an indication of how much society is understanding what the role of of learning and education are as we move towards the future. Elliot, it's been fascinating having you on the show. I really enjoy that. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks to Elliot for being my guest today on the show. And thanks to you, wherever you are right now, wherever you are, whether it's on holidays, whether you're at work, whether you're in the gym, traveling, who knows, 
I hope you're well, and it's my privilege to know that you're listening and that you're finding value in the show. You've got great ideas for episodes. I know that for a fact because many of you email me and let me know what you like and what you want more of. So please, please keep those ideas coming. You can subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or many others. And of course, you can email me directly. I do reply individually and read them personally. And the email address is simply mark at trainingbusiness.com. As I said at the top of the show, there is a fresh episode of the show every single Thursday on your podcast platform of choice. So with that in mind, I'd like to wish you a wonderful rest of the week and a restful weekend. And I look forward to your company next time, next Thursday. Until then, take care. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.